जय राधमाधव कुंज बिहारी जय राधमाधव कुंज जय गोपी जनवाला गिरिवर जय गोपी जनवाला गिरिवर यशोदानंदना व्रजजन रंजन यशोदानंदना व्रजजन रंजन जमुना चीरा जमुना चीरा जय राधमाधा कुंज जय ओम विष्णुपाद परम हंस परिव्राज कक्तिवरांत स्वामी श्रील प्रभुपाद की अनंत कौत वैष्णवृंद की All glories the assembled devotees. All glories the assembled devotees. All glories the assembled devotees. All glories all glories to Shri Shri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Shri La Prabhupada. Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya. Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya. ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवा सो थ्रे इज ट्यूजडे मार्च सेवेंटीन द इयर ट्वेंटी वी आर रीडिंग फ्रॉम श्रीमद भागवतम कैंटो वन क्रिएशन चैप्टर सिक्स कॉन्वर्सेशन बिटवीन नारदा एंड व्यासुदेव टेक्स्ट अलेवन स्वीतंजनापदम स्त्र पूरा क्रमव्रजाकनी उपवानी 
Flourishing, Janapadan, Metropolises, Tatra, there, Pura, towns, Grama, villages, Vraja, big farms, Akaran, mineral fields, mines, Keta. Agricultural lands, Karvata, valleys, Vati, flower gardens, Cha, and Vanani, forests, Upa Vanani, nursery gardens, Cha, and Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. After my departure, I passed through many flourishing metropolises, towns, villages, animal farms, mines, agricultural lands, valleys, flower gardens, nursery gardens, and natural forests. Purports. Humans' activities in agriculture, hum- mining, farming, industries, gardening, etc., were all on the same scale as they are now, even previous to the present creation. And the same activities will remain as they are, even in the next creation. After many hundreds of millions of years, one creation is started by the law of nature, and the history of the universe repeats itself practically in the same way. The mundane wranglers waste time with archaeological excavations without searching into the vital necessities of life. After getting an impetus in spiritual life, Sri Narada Muni, even though a mere child, did not waste time for a single moment with economic development, although he passed towns and villages, mines and industries. He continually went on to progressive spiritual emancipation. Srimad Bhagavatam is the repetition of history which happened some hundreds of millions of years ago. As it is said herein, only the most important factors of history are picked up to be recorded in this transcendental literature. 
I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Sri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jaina Putale Swayam Bhutakadaptayam Tadatitswapatandikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world a mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha Kalpa Tarubhasya Kripasindubayavicha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namunamaham. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Vaitagadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktavrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Sri Vastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Today we are continuing the story of Narada Muni, the conversation between Narada Muni and Vyasadev. And Narada Muni is telling the story of his life. So yesterday we learned that, or the last few days we learned that he, his mother who was taking care of him, who was his only family, the only person he had in the entire world, was um, killed by a snake when she went to go milk a cow. And so having no one, he departed his home. And he's telling what happened after he departed his home. He traveled everywhere. He went to um, big cities, metropolises, villages, towns, farms, lands. He kind of, you know, been everywhere, seen it all. And, you know, we can understand when he's going through this, you know, Prabhupada says that he had no interest in economic development, even though he went and saw all these big farms and agricultures and industries, and everything was there. But he had no interest in it. Because what he saw was that everyone is engaged in pretty much the similar activities, right? Eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Whether it's you know, on a big grand level or if it's on a smaller scale. That's what everybody was doing. And he saw that there's birth, death, disease, and old age everywhere. Right? It doesn't matter small town, big, big, um, big city, metropolis, or you know, forest. He saw that this, these are the common things. And we know this from studying you know, the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita up until this point, that these are the things that we see in, in, material life, in the material world. Birth, death, old age, disease. And then we also have talked about previously the three-fold um, miseries of the material world. And they are um, adhyatmic, which is miseries inflicted by the mind and the body itself. Adibotic, which is miseries inflicted by other living entities. And then adidaivik, which is miseries that are inflicted by natural disturbance. So Prabhupada also talks about how history repeats. You know, we think that we've made so many advancements, but Prabhupada's saying that after every millennium there's like a destruction and then there's a rebuild. And then at the end of the day of Brahma there's like a huge destruction and then everything gets rebuilt the next day. 
So Narada Muni looked at this and he saw that you know, he, he really didn't want to have anything to do with building a material life. He didn't want to get caught up in this cycle of birth and death and growing old and disease. So he was looking at something higher. He wanted more spiritual fulfillment. He saw that the, the nature of the world is very temporary and he wanted something more internal. And actually we can relate this to what's going on today, right? Everybody knows what's going on today, the coronavirus. Um, and if we look at the coronavirus, right, why, why is it that people are so um, scared or what is it that's gotten them panicking about the coronavirus? It's death, right? And if it's not death, it's disease. We also know that although anybody you know, can be affected and it can have, be pretty severe in anyone, any age, it tends to be more severe in the elderly. So old age plays a factor in that, right? So then we start thinking about, am I in that age range? Who do I know that's in that age range? And then you know, it's almost like, oh, thank God I'm not in that age range. Um, you know, if you're younger, right? So we've, just with this one disease, we can see three of the, the big factors of um, the material world, you know, death, disease, and old age. And if we look, I think yesterday I was looking the, the numbers at the end of the day. Um, so far, worldwide, there have been 182,611 cases and 7,171 deaths so far. But we have to remember that history repeats. Throughout the years, throughout the last 2,000 years, we've had so many pandemics. Um, just in our recent memory, we can remember, um, you know, 2009, there was the, the swine flu, the H1N1. That was a um, pandemic, not quite to the level of this one, but it was so far, I mean, it, this one looks like it's going to be a lot worse. I was looking at some of the pandemics that we've had. In 541 AD, there was um, bubonic plague. At that time, it was called the Plague of Justinian. It's thought to have started in Africa and traveled to Europe. It took 10,000 lives a day. 10,000 people a day died from this bubonic plague. And it's, um, it continued over several years. They would, it would start to die down, and then there would be a resurgence, and it would die down. And it spread all throughout Europe, Africa, and Asia. And by the time it finally died down, it was 25 million deaths overall from this one pandemic. And widespread famine and devastation from this one pandemic. But you know, that wasn't even the worst Pandemic. The worst pandemic has been, um, it's called the Black Death, and it occurred in 1347. It's also another form of the plague. Whole towns were wiped out from this plague. Um, it lasted about five years, and they say anywhere from, the, the numbers go anywhere from like 50 million to 200 million people died from the bubonic plague during that time called the Black Plague. So that was, I think that's been up to date that we have in our recorded history, the worst pandemic that we've had. Um, 
There's been a few others. Uh, let's see. The Spanish flu is the next biggest one that we've had. I've seen, I was looking at different things that happened in 1918 to 1920. So 100 years ago that occurred. Um, a third of the population were infected and I think 10% of the people that got infected died. So they were saying that greater than 50 million deaths and they thought maybe even as close to 100 million people died from the Spanish flu in 1918 to 1920. So we see that, you know, regardless, at some point, you know, the, the plague kind of died down in 1950 because we figured out, I think in the 1920s they figured out it was a bacteria and they came up with um, vaccine as well as treatment for it, and then we didn't see any more cases. And now we're seeing like surges of virus viruses because we don't have any medications against viruses. It's all supportive measures. There's no antibiotics that you can take. So we have to look at, you know, what does this mean for us, right? This is major. It's affecting everybody. Nobody is safe. We heard that there were some devotees in London that um, passed away that I know of um, from coronavirus. I don't know if any other devotees have gotten it or have, you know, but we do know that people are getting it. There are people in Dallas are getting it. We've kind of shut down the whole city. All of Texas is pretty much shut down, and I think the whole country is shutting down. So we can see that, you know, it's really making a widespread impact. And I was looking at um, Bhagavad Gita, verses 13, 8, uh, chapter 13, verse 8 through 12, and it describes... Um, the qualities that we want to have, right? And it talks about, you know, humility, pridelessness, nonviolence, tolerance. Um, but it says the perception of evil, of the evil of birth, death, old age, and disease. So when we realize that this is, you know, that there is that evil of birth, death, old age, and disease, but it's temporary, then we've come to true knowledge, it's further explained in the Sri Ishapanishad and Mantra 10, Srila Prabhupada, Prabhupada in the purport says, always remember that as long as one has a material body, one must face the miseries of birth, death, old age, disease, and... Um, I think I said it. I just read it wrong. One must face the miseries of repeated birth, old age, disease, and death. There is no use making plans and getting rid of these miseries of the material body. The best course is to find out the means by which one may regain his spiritual identity. And then we can go on to read, you know, in um, the purport of Bhagavad Gita 632, it says, The perfect transcendentalist knows that the living being who is conditioned by the modes of material nature is subjected to threefold miseries, due to their forgetfulness of their relationship with Krishna. And then we also know that when we study the Bhagavad Gita in 2.27, Krishna says, one who has taken birth is sure to die. After death, one is sure to take birth again. Therefore, in the unavoidable discharge of your duty, you should not lament. So one thing is for sure. If we have birth, there is a death. And if there is death, there is birth again. 
And in between, you have old age and disease and some other miseries, right? Um, so, you know, I, I've heard it said that we can look at all these numbers, and this is scary because it happens right away and we may not be ready, but honestly speaking, who's ready for death even when you do come up to old age? It's hard to think. You think, oh, I still have this to do, or I still have to take care of this, and... You know, we feel like we have so much unfinished business. But I've heard, you know, death rate is 100%. doesn't matter when, it's 100%. Because if you are born, you're slowly making your way to your death. And we hope that in between that time, we can um, do some good, right? Uh, um, have an impact on people around us, on the environment around us have a positive impact that we can you know, influence other people in that way. So we're talking about you know, that death is sure, and the only thing that's permanent is Krishna. So does that mean we shouldn't take care of our body at all, that we shouldn't look after our health at all? Well, I look at it as really what we're trying to do is help ourselves and other people achieve the mode of goodness. And when I look at what it is that we can do to help our, our bodies be the healthiest they can be. Um, one of the things that I look at is what's called lifestyle medicine. And with lifestyle medicine, they looked at six major factors that help the body be at its most optimal health. And those six major factors is you know, nutrition, what we eat, exercise, the activities that we do, um, sleep, how much sleep we're getting, if we're resting enough. Um, stress management, you know, avoiding risky substance abuse and use, like intoxicants, and feeling a sense of community. So I was looking through and seeing what the Bhagavad Gita had to say about these things. So we'll start with Bhagavad Gita in 5.11. It says, The yogis abandoning attachment act with mind, body, and intelligence, even with the senses, only for the purpose of purification. And if we're looking at actions, right, we're talking about activities. In um, 14.16, describing the modes of goodness, passion over the three modes of nature, I'll just stick to goodness. It says, Acting in the mode of goodness, one becomes purified. And if we're thinking about death in the mode of goodness, one attains to the higher um, planets. So these are some good reasons why we want to achieve the mode of goodness, right? So as far as activity is concerned, in, in 3.5 it says, everyone is forced to act helplessly according to the qualities one has acquired from the modes of material nature. Therefore, no one can refrain from doing something, not even for a moment. And then we're also instructed to do our prescribed duties, for it's better to do something than nothing, and we can't even maintain our body without physical work, right? We have to be active. Our body, our soul requires activity. We can't just sit there and be still. So it's important that we get activity. In terms of nutrition and sleep, the best verse I found on that is Bhagavad Gita 6.16. It says, there's no possibility of one's becoming a yogi if one eats too much or eats too little, sleeps too much, or does not sleep enough. So it's very important because it's not saying don't eat anything, and it's not saying eat everything. It's saying be moderate, be temperate. 
And if we look at further what it says, what kind of foods increase the mode of goodness in 17, chapter 17, 8 through 10, the kinds of foods that increase the duration of life, purify one's existence, and give strength, health, happiness, and satisfaction. These foods are sweet, juicy, fattening, and palatable. So really, that's what our food is supposed to do. It's supposed to increase our duration of life. It's supposed to purify us, right? We talked about the importance of purification. Um, One, we get that from acting in the modes of goodness. But everything that we do when we act is for the purpose of purification. So if we want to eat, you know, we want to eat in such a way that we're purifying ourselves. We want to be regulated in our habits of eating, sleeping, recreation, and work. Um, and that can mitigate all material pains when we practice the yoga system. And that's from Bhagavad Gita 617. If we look at stress management, um, in the modes of goodness, we can perform different austerities. Uh, in terms of our body, what we perform, you know, worshiping the Supreme Lord, we can worship Brahmanas, we can worship the spiritual master, superiors like our father and mother. And we're also keeping the body very clean, simple, celibate, nonviolent. So this is a very important point, cleanliness, right? We, there's a saying that says, cleanliness is next to godliness. And one of the big messages that we've gotten from the coronavirus is, wash your hands frequently, right? And make sure you don't touch your face and, you know, if you're going to cough. So it's all about cleanliness, like, because when we're not clean, we can spread the germs, you know, have them on our hands and spread it to somebody else or put our hands on something and somebody puts their hands on that later and they can pick up the germs that we have. So saying frequent hand washing. You know, I was thinking, wow, we must not be washing our hands if we have to be told we have to wash our hands. Just like if you go to a public restroom and it'll say employees must wash hands after using the bathroom. They have to write that because people weren't washing their hands, right? So you can see the standard of cleanliness is kind of dropped. And we're just, because of this um, virus, we're kind of become, drawing our attention back to that you know, simple thing of washing our hands, making sure that we're doing that frequently. You know, if we touch our face, you know, if you ever watch um, Giraj Swami during Kirtan or during a lecture, and you, you'll notice that if he ever touches his face, he pulls out his water bottle and he washes his hands. You know, if he drinks water, he does the same thing. And I thought, wow, that's such a high standard of cleanliness. Like, he really maintains that. He carries a little water bottle with him and he always just is able to spray and wash his hands. He has a little handkerchief that he can dry it with, too. So we want to make sure that we're maintaining these standards of cleanliness. Um, when we look at terms of speech, you know, we want to speak truthfully, beneficially. We want to avoid speech that offends. And we want to read and recite the Vedas regularly. That's how we can use our speech in the mode of goodness. And that's a type of austerity, right? If we're only speaking the truth that's beneficial. You know, sometimes something is the truth, but it can be hurtful, right? There's another verse, I didn't write it down, but it's, it says that it's very important for a devotee not to cause anxiety or distress in any other living entity. 
So if we're speaking the truth, but the truth is, you know, it's, it's in a harsh way or it's um, very hard for the other person to hear, or we're creating some discomfort, anxiety, that's not something we're supposed to do. So we're supposed to speak something that's beneficial and truthful. Um, and we want to avoid speech that offends, right? That's what it says. When we look at um, austerity of the mind, it's serenity, simplicity, gravity, self-control, purity of thought. And with all of these things, when we talk about austerity of the mind, body, speech, um, it's all with the purpose of pleasing Krishna. It's not to benefit ourselves. It's to please Krishna. And that's where we can take it a step above the mode of goodness and take it into the transcendental mode. Because remember, when we are um, not working, you know, that's where that source of anxiety comes from, when we're not doing things for Krishna. One who is not disturbed in mind, even amidst the threefold miseries or elated when there is happiness, who is free from attachment, fear, and anger, is called a sage of steady mind. So these are the goals when we talk about stress management. We want to be free from fear, free from anger, free from attachment. I was um, reading something that talked about anger. And you know, one moment of anger, when you get angry for even a moment, it can increase your blood pressure and your pulse for five to six hours after that one moment. Right? You can feel that stress still in your body. And they found that just even like, you know, a moment of anger decreases the immune system, right? Same with fear. When we're fear and anxious, fearful and anxious, that also decreases our immune system. It sits with our body much longer. They also showed, you know, you can combat some of that if you start to like laugh or smile or think of something happy. Um, The the sad thing is when, you know, things like that, it doesn't last as long. So you have to keep doing it. Like when you think of something happy or you laugh, the benefits are only for like a few minutes. Whereas the effects of being angry are for a few hours. So you can see that you have to constantly think in that more positive mood, the joyful mood. right? And we know um, one way to do that is to chant and to associate with devotees and to engage in Krishna Katha, learning about Krishna, because that does bring joy. So that's one way we can bring joy to our lives and help combat that fear and anxiety and anger we may feel um, that's going on associated with today's events. We talk about community, we talk about associating with devotees. It says, the thought in Bhagavad Gita 10.9, the thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. Their lives are fully devoted to my service, and they derive great satisfaction and bliss from always enlightening one another and conversing about me. So right now there's an ordinance, right, that we can't have big gatherings. I think they said no more than, they're really discouraging any more than 10 people. Um, and so it's hard to, like, if you're going to invite people over, you don't know how many people are going to come. Do you invite just a few? And then, like, you know, when you invite 10, usually you get, what, like, 30% show up, so you have three. So if you're thinking like that, you invite, you know, 20, and you think, okay, only five or six will show up. But what if all 20 showed up, right? So you don't really know, like, who to invite, how do you do that, how do you navigate through that? Um, 
but we're so fortunate in this time that we have so much technology and we can communicate with each other, you know, through uh, video chats, through um, WhatsApp, through Facebook, through Messenger, text messages. I know one of the things we were talking about, I have a group text message with a lot of the ladies of the community here. And one of the things that we were discussing is that how wonderful we have this resource that we can reach out to each other because there was a lot of supportive words that were being said um, about, you know, yesterday when we found out like all the restaurants were closed and, you know, pretty much everything is going to be closing except for like essentials like groceries and things like that. So um, we were, you know, sending supportive words and we were thinking how fortunate we are that we have this resource um, you know, imagine in one of these plagues that I had discussed earlier, like in the 1300s, right, they, um, there was one smaller plague that happened, I think, in the 1500s, where they actually did put in some, uh, like, quarantine. I think they quarantined the whole city and didn't let anybody leave and, you know, all these kinds of things where you're kind of stuck and, you know, people barely left their houses because they were scared. But that's it. Like, they only had who they could reach out to and hear from. So at least now in the year 2020, we have so many resources to be able to still um, stay in touch and communicate, even though, you know, we're supposed to maintain our social distance. And then finally, intoxication. Um, there's so much that we can say about that, right? We know we don't want to engage in um, alcohol, cigarettes, even caffeine. In Bhagavad Gita 5.21, it says, in 5.22, it says, such a liberated person is not attracted to material sense, pleasure, but is always in trance, enjoying the pleasure within. In this way, the self-realized person enjoys unlimited happiness for he they concentrate on the supreme. An intelligent person does not take part in the sources of misery which are due to contact with material senses. Such pleasures have a beginning and an end, and so the wise person does not delight in them. And we can see that with intoxication, right? alcohol. You may get some euphoria, it may feel good for a little while, and then there's a big crash, right? like you feel bad, you might have a hangover, um, you start to feel the things that you were trying to forget, and so either you drink again or you sit there in misery because you feel bad physically and you still have the mental um, issues that you were dealing with before you started to drink the alcohol. So that's always going to be there. And one of the things that we know is that you know we want to find... Temp we don't want to engage in this temporary pleasure. We want to engage in the eternal pleasure. So, you know, when we look at the final verses, 1850 to 53, 1851 to 53, it says, being purified by one's intelligence and controlling the mind with determination, giving up the objects of sense gratification, being freed from attachment and hatred. One who lives in a secluded place, so... That's what we're kind of forced into right now, right? Our social distance is kind of living in a secluded place. Who eats little, who controls one's body, mind, and power of speech. Who is always in trance, who is detached, 
free from false ego, false strength, false pride, lust, anger, and acceptance of material things, free from false proprietorship, and peaceful. Such a person is certainly elevated to the position of self-realization. So one of the things that I was thinking, I mean, that's a very powerful conclusion of all the activities that we can engage in, right? We look at, again, nutrition, eating to purify the body, give it the most amount of strength, um, exercise, activity, sleep, making sure we're getting enough sleep, not too much, not too little, the right amount, um, managing our stress, feeling sense of community, and avoiding intoxications. And, you know, we want to engage as much as we can to do these things. Remember we talked about last week that this is a call to action, not a call for, to perfection. So we want to make sure that just any little thing that we can engage in, we do, and when we build on it, the better it is. If we were doing all of these things perfectly, it still doesn't mean that we're going to be completely safe from getting you know, the virus, but it just gives our body and our lives and our service, it protects our service in the most optimal way possible. We're giving all of the, po- the best tools to our body and um, to stay healthy. That way we can continue our service uninterrupted. We can continue doing our duty uninterrupted and you know, working on things like um, being free from uh, you know, fear, anger, um, anxiety, um, attachment, right? So when we're working on doing that, if we're, you know, feeling hungry, it's not going to be good. <laughs> or if we're feeling too full, it's not going to be good. If we're sleepy, you know, again, it's not going to be good either, right? So we want to be able to give our body the most optimal chance of being able to fight this off. And then we want to make sure that at the same time we're focusing on what really matters, and that's our relationship with Krishna, making sure we're building on the eternal relationship. Even though this body is temporary, we can use this temporary body in service to Krishna. So it's just like, you know, Krishna has lent us this body, and we are um, obligated to take the best care of it that we can so that we can serve him with this body. And I was also thinking, you know, part of what's going on currently is that when people are not taking care of their bodies, I'm, I know like as a doctor that when I talk to people when they're sick, right, you see, I see a lot of patients with colds. And this is even before the coronavirus. My number one advice for them is rest. You know, take some rest. Let your body recover. Oh, no, no, I can't take rest. I have this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this. And and I'm telling them, well, I'm just telling you what your body needs, right? And now we're kind of forced to take rest because so many people can't go to work right now. They've, you know, they're trying to make sure that there's least amount of people sick coming to work, um, we have this culture in America, especially of like, you know, there's some kind of badge of honor of coming to work sick. And I, well, I did this even though I was like sick. I mean, one of my, you know, big badges of honor, I guess, 
or it's part of my story, is that when, you know, when I was uh, much younger, I used to get sick all the time, especially during springtime from allergies. And from the allergies, I would get bronchitis, and I would get fever by the end of the springtime, like by end of April. And the MCAT, which is the boards that you have to take to get into med school, is always, was always offered at the end of April. And I remember when I took the boards, I had a fever of 104. So, you know, it's this idea that we don't take rest. We don't, you know, we do, we push on, we persevere. But that's not really always the best thing for, you know, future health and recovery. Um, Same thing with eating properly, right? We were talking about all these plagues, but I, I mean, I didn't even mention all the ones that just happened in the last you know, 10, 20 years, like we had the swine flu, we've had SARS, we've had um, MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, we've had um, Ebola, we've had, you know, so many of these things that come and go, and yet people aren't looking at what can we do to optimize our health to prevent this. I mean, you know, at this point we have more people dying from heart disease and diabetes and cancer, and we still don't say what can we do every day to, to make our bodies the most efficient and optimal um, health that it can be in. So, you know, that's kind of a wake-up call. But then we're also not taking care of our soul. Right? We're not doing anything for the eternal. And I think we can use this time where everything's kind of slowing down to refocus on what's really important, right? We can do our duty. We can take care of ourselves. We can work to act in the mode of goodness in all of all of the areas of our lives and at the same time focus on what is eternal and dedicate everything that we're doing to the eternal. So that's all I have today. What questions do you have for me? So the question is um, regarding social distance and um, kind of reconciling that with the sense of community. And he mentioned that hugs are, you know, shown to be very effective in uh, helping with anxiety, calming the body, even lowering the heart rate and pulse and blood pressure. Um, But right now we're supposed to maintain social distance and we've always had... Um, technology, Facebook, and we found that that's actually helped feel that feeling of isolation even more. So I'll start with that part first. You know, there's good and bad with everything, right? This um, microphone is just a microphone, but it becomes spiritualized when we talk about Krishna and we use it in such a way that it helps broadcast, right, with the microphone. It's being broadcast to people at home and being recorded for the internet so they can actually hear what we're, what I'm talking, what I'm saying. And then it could also be used to, you know, um, say things that are just absolutely, utterly nonsensical that can disturb the mind. And that way the microphone is no longer helpful, right? It could actually be a deterrent. So it's the same thing with social media, um, Facebook. It's how you use it. It's how you engage with it. Um, one of the things I would highly recommend is not reading things about the coronavirus or limiting the time that you spend reading about it, but engaging in more 
social interactions with people. Um, you know, a lot of my interactions with Facebook is on Messenger, is sending private messages or group messages, you know, where we're actually interacting. It's not just, you know, you put something up there and you might respond and then you go back and forth. There might be a big argument, you know. That's one type of engagement, but the other one's more fulfilling. Same thing, you know, we, we all have a little bit more time now, so maybe we can actually do phone calls, right? Um, sometimes it's hard because we tend to text and send messages because you can send a text message and somebody's busy, they can respond when they're ready and, you know, they can pick up their phone sometime two hours, three hours later and continue the conversation. But for a phone call, both people need to be available and willing to talk at the same time. We might have a lot more time for that now. Also, you know, if you have a few trusted friends that you know that if they were sick, even in the slightest, they would, you know, let you know. They wouldn't um, hug you, right? If you have a few trusted friends like that and you, you know, visit with them, small groups, and you know that you're just going to hug them, then that's fine too. Right? So it's a matter of both, like, judgment on both parts. Um, it's the same thing that the whole Bhagavad Gita talks about, is that we can do our duty thinking of ourselves, right? Oh, man, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make this money, and I'm going to get this when I get this money. Or we can do this in the sense of, okay, with the money that I'm making, with the activities that I'm doing, I can donate to Krishna, or I can, you know, make sure I'm getting enough prasadam for my family. You know, it's like it's a different mindset, but the activity is the same. So it's all about the mindset that we have. And... Um, you know, like I said, if we're all pretty honest about, you know, are you feeling sniffly, coughing, are you feeling any kind of symptoms, well, you know, stay back a little, um, versus in the past where it's just been like, ah, you know, I'm just going to power through it. I think we're, you know, becoming a little bit more mindful about what symptoms we have. I think what's going to be a little confusing is now we're hitting allergy season, so... <laughs> That, that's going to kind of confuse. We kind of are leaving flu and cold season, but we're entering allergy season. So I hope that answers your question. Okay. All right. Well, I know we went a little over, but we started a little late. So anyway. Zarantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki.